What's up, guys? Welcome to our podcast. This is the launching episode, the very first episode of a lot of crazy shit that we are willing to share with you. <laughs> um, we started this podcast. Uh, we're going to be coming true crime. It's actually pretty simple the way that we're going to get it started. We want to drop on Tuesdays a true crime uh, episode, and we want to follow that up on Thursdays with some type of haunting of the same crime. Um, I can't promise you that we'll be able to cover every true crime story with a haunting because it just really depends on what we can come up with. But, uh, you know, we'll do what we can here. Uh, anything else we decide to talk about because we like to talk about everything. Everything. <laughs> um, we, as far as conspiracy theories, you know. Controversial issues; those are pretty much kind of like you hear us debating. And, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Um, there is it, those will be like little surprises we throw in there for you guys. Um, so the name of our podcast is Mad. Uh, if you're wondering where that comes from, it stands for Megan and David, or monkeys and dinosaurs, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Muffins and donuts. <laughs> Whichever way you take it, like, here you are. So, I mean, hopefully you stick around because that's kind of the plan. Uh, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Megan. I'm 26 years old. I'm a mom of four. Um, I work. I do the mom thing. Um, I'm happily engaged to David's brother, Dylan. Uh, David, by the way, is my brother-in-law slash bestie for life. Facts. <laughs> um, we just, we have a same... Uh, view on a lot of things we like a lot of the same things um so we wanted to kind of like channel our energy into this so i'll let david take over for a second um my name is david i'm a dad of one i have a son his name is zane um i'm 32 years old um i've been in a lot of bullshit in my life i've been through a lot and i have a lot of fucked up views on a lot of things and you guys will hear that as we go so oh yeah you know, either we agree fully or we just Or we don't, just straight disagree. We don't yeah. agree at all. Right. Um, and by the way, I'm just going to give you guys like a little heads up. Like, we are very hard pe like people to take serious. Like, Absolutely. So if we have any outbursts, I do want to apologize in advance. Um, we do try to be serious. We do. And we can be. But just sometimes, like, it's just not in our nature, so... No, it's never in our nature. <laughs> so, we just, you know, we just got to figure our shit out, really. Right. So, um... As I'm drinking beer while we do this. Right. So, I mean, normal shit. Yeah. So, anyway, um, today I wanted to launch uh, this podcast with an episode that... It's kind of like all-knowing. Um, a lot of people know what it is. It's really infamous. But this is one of the ones that have always stuck out to me. Honestly, as far as I can backtrack, I do want to say that this is the one that kind of got me into true crime. Like something yeah. that really like dragged me in from a young age. Hearing about it, knowing about it. it, it and I think it's just because it's one of those cases that... I like, literally remember watching a documentary with my grandpa when I was eight. Right, like, like it's about this. Right, like, we weren't even around when this happened, but right. like it's just so infamous. Like you just know so much about it. And I actually was just telling David, like I thought I knew so much about it, but like when I really started doing all this research, like I literally have like ten pages of research actually, in front of me. And you taught me a lot about it, and I thought I knew a lot about like, it. Like exactly, really like, and I just keep coming across shit that I didn't know. Oh, by the way, just so you guys know, we cuss a lot. Like absolutely. Like we, I don't think we can say like not say fuck every other like sentence so if that's gonna be a problem we do apologize Absolutely. um but well, anyway we fucking do right <laughs> so. fuck 
<laughs> period. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, awesome. Right. So anyway, um, I'm not going to drag this out any longer, but I am just going to go ahead and jump into it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Um, so yeah, I do want to let you know that obviously with true crime as well, before we do start, there are going to be some things that are disturbing, um, things that might, you know, kind of make your stomach a little queasy. So, and that's just for, you know, future episodes too. Like, just keep that in mind. Like, obviously yes. if you like true crime, you're here for a reason. Absolutely. So, um, I'm sure you can, you know, know what, what you're getting yourself into. Right. Too. You're asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> asking you shall receive. <laughs> So, anyway, um, I'm just going to go ahead and dive in. So, today we're going to be covering the um, Manson and LaBianca Tate murders. And we chose this case, uh, like I said, it's really infamous. It's something that, um, you know, we're both interested in. And we thought it'd be like a good starting point for our, our podcast. So. One of my favorites, actually. Right. It, it, just, it just draws you in, and no matter how much sense you try to make out of it, like, you're just, it's, at the end, not going to make any sense to you. But I do want to, however, start with Charles Manson, because I feel like you need to understand him, try to understand him anyway, to a certain point, um, to kind of understand what happened. So, I'm just going to go ahead and, like, just get started here. So, Charles Manson uh, was actually born Charles Miles Maddox, and he was born on November 12th, 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio, to Kathleen Maddox, who was 16 years old at the time. I did not know that. I thought his name was always Manson, so. (laughs) Like... Anyway, so kind of looking at his mother, and I just kind of want to touch base on his mom because I feel like I kind of want to give this woman the benefit of the doubt because she has, her name's been dragged through the mud by Charles Manson. Um, He puts a lot of blame on her, on everybody else. As you learn later on in life, he's always, you know, the victim, never the villain. So um, I kind of want to like touch base on this because there was an interview, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but... Um, I just kind of wanted to give you a little background on her first. She was born on January 11th in 1918 in Kentucky. Um, she was the youngest of five siblings. She was considered uh, a party child. Uh, everybody kind of explained her as like the wild child. You know, she was always the one that was kind of pushing her limits and her boundaries. Just like me. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there, she came from a good family. They were religious people. Uh, her father was a successful railroad conductor. Um, Like I said, they came from, like, a family with morals. She wasn't struggling, so she ultimately came from, like, a good family. Um, So she got pregnant relatively young. Uh, She claims to have obviously broken her mother's heart, um, and she kind of just flees. So at six months pregnant, uh, she wed William Manson. Um... Which is another thing I didn't know, I guess, kind of assuming, you know, you kind of think Manson, like he's a boy, he took his father's last name, you know, and yeah. that wasn't the case here. Um, she did, however, kind of admit that she did do this pretty much because she wanted to give her son a proper name. Uh, the biological father and her weren't actually together, so, you know, she wasn't really sure where that was headed, so she kind of, you know, married this guy. So, uh that didn't last too long. Actually, the divorce about a year later, um, you know, like I said, she just kind of did it. And she was young. And, you you know, you kind of make irrational decisions when you're young. Absolutely. So, oh, yeah, 110%. So, uh, with that being said, 
she actually, which I did a little bit more extensive research, and I came across something that kind of blew my mind more. Uh, anything you really read says that he was born Charles Miles Maddox. What the truth is, is that Kathleen actually wanted her mother to name him because she knew she had, like, broken her heart, disappointed her. So, you know, kind of like the ultimate gift, like, here's right. the baby, like, name him. So he was actually born no-name Maddox. So when she returned home with the baby, her mother named Charlie Manson Charles after Kathleen's father. So... I did not know that. Yeah, me neither. Um, so Charles Manson has, like, a lot of wacky claims here towards his family. Well, mostly, like, his two parents... Um, well, actually, mostly on his mom, because he does claim that his father had nothing to do with him, which we end up learning is complete horseshit. Um, his mom actually said in an interview that his father was around. Uh, his biological father's name was uh, Colonel Walker Scott, and apparently... Was he in the military or something? I'm going to assume here, Colonel, yeah. so I'm going to assume. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not tapping myself on the back for being a genius, <laughs> but... Uh, so anyway... Um, so he would get uh, Charlie Manson, like he would get him on the weekends, he would get him, you know, when he could for, she said, like a week at a time. So he was active, and she said he was active in his life until his untimely death from cancer in 1954. So, um, you know, that's that's really sad. Now, in his mother's case, uh, Kathleen, oh, she, man, she was the brunt of a lot of Charles Manson's blame, um, he claimed that she was a prostitute and I was trying because I was reading articles that were saying that she was a prostitute, but I couldn't actually find anything where that was true. And I, everything that I have read that she has put, like put out there is like, she denied all those claims. So I don't know if that's just another one of like Charles Manson's like fucking lies and like feel bad for right. me. My mom was a whore type deal. Yeah. And unfortunately, because he's such a piece of shit, like, the media could just take that and run with that. So, you know what I mean? That's kind of, like, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt and kind of, like, cover her first. Absolutely. You know, so, um, anyway, he actually claimed that his mother loved him so little that she tried to sell him for a pitcher of beer. I would have sold him for a pitcher of beer. <laughs> right? <laughs> you worthless piece of shit. <laughs> so. I was him for a cup of beer. Oh, <laughs> I was told over a taste of it. <laughs> Just a smidgen. <laughs> so anyway. Right. So anyway, um he also made claims about his mother going to prison, which this actually was true. Uh his mother Kathleen and her brother did go to prison for an attempted robbery. Uh they did two years. Now, Charles Manson tries to play like the Oh, I was on my own. Nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted to take me in. Poor me. Poor me. Like, this fucking kid was, like, five at this age. Like, right. where would you have gone? Like, <laughs> complete bullshit. Uh, he was raised by his grandmother, his aunt, and his cousin, Joanne. So they, you know, they took him in, loved him. Like, he was totally loved, yeah, no so matter what no he says. no excuse for, yeah. No, no like. excuse for how he was acting. It's no. Not. He didn't have family problems. You didn't, you know what I'm no. saying? It's, it was all made up bullshit. And, and, and exactly. And it's it. like people like that who just like cannot take responsibility for their actions and have to always be the, the victim. fabricated it. Exactly. And all that. It's... Exactly. So uh, he was placed in a boys reformatory school at the age of 12. Now he claims that he was in uh, the system for so long because nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted to take him in, which actually is complete bullshit once again. Um, his family 
just made very apparent that he was a very manipulative, violent, condescending child. Like, always, always lying, always, like, again, playing the victim, would do something fucked up and be like, oh, no, well, this is what happened, and so-and-so, you know what I mean? Like, the, the blame was always casted elsewhere, and they just knew, like, he needed help, and so they sent him to this reformatory school. Kind of like and, I used to do with your uh, boyfriend. Right. You know, when I was a kid. Do shit and then blame it on him. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's like... That, and, like, he was just, like, the, like, the little shit rotten ass kid that you just yes. wanted to smack around. Right. So, like, you know, he, he had to go somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> you gotta go. Goodbye. <laughs> um, you don't pay bills. Right, thank you, next. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, a family member actually made reports that in the first grade he was bullied. And he had made these girls beat this child up at recess and when asked by the principal why he did that, his response was, the girls were doing what they wanted to do. See, now this manipulation is starting already, first grade. He's already formed how he, you know what I'm saying? He's already formed, like, the person who he's that gonna he be. is, who he's going to be. Yes. Like, that's what I'm like, saying. Like, that's so disturbing that at such right. a young age, like, you can yeah. convince, I mean, like, okay, as a kid, like, I could tell, you know, well, my kids would be like, oh, well, if you go do this, like, Santa will come. Like, I can, I can only, I, yeah. But, I mean, you kids, still do that. kids, right. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you wearing my shit out? <laughs> so, I do that. I, you, have to, you know, as a parent, you got to do what works for you sometimes. Anyways, it's coming. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it, at that young of an age, it's just like, holy fuck, like. I can only imagine this guy's IQ. It was probably through the fucking roof. Yeah, I, honestly. I'm, that's good. Good thing to kind of look up, I think. I would try to look to see if they ever ran any tests to see how yeah. smart he was. Uh, so this, however, kind of counteracts what we're just talking about, the IQ level, because at 13, he ran away. Uh, he tried to pull an armed robbery, and he tried to steal a car, but didn't know how to shift gears. <laughs> um, dude, I don't know how so, to this motherfucker tried to rob a car, stalls out. <laughs> Like, I would be so mortified. Like, I'd be so embarrassed. Should've I'd be like... Should've kept it first, nigga. I'd be, but I just... I can't. I cannot deal. Like, what the hell? So, um... Anyway, he started claiming that he was receiving all this abuse from all these reform schools. Uh, sexually, physically, mentally, however which way. Like I said, he's always the victim. Um, never the villain. Which you'll learn later on is always the case. Um, so it... Another point, I actually read a couple articles on this too. He was caught sodomizing another boy and he was holding a sharp object to this boy's throw and pretty much was like, if you say anything, I'll kill you. So like, I mean, like you're like young and you're doing like, that just shows you like you're the person that he's going to be. And it's kind of like that thing too. Like, are you born a serial killer? Are you born like evil? Are you, you know what I'm saying? To be that young. It's either, I think it's either... It's one of two things, in your DNA to be that way, or you were fucking made that way by outer influences. Right. It's just, it's so debatable. But, like, here, being this young, it's just kind of like, okay, are you actually born evil? You know what I mean? So, um, at age 19, he finally gets out of the system. So, he resorts to what he thinks he knows and begins to steal cars again. Uh, gets caught. He sucks at it. Like, you need to find right. a new niche, bro. Yeah. Like, you're not getting away with this. Like, <laughs> you gotta fucking find, you gotta find something else to do here. So, at age 21, uh, he lands himself in Terminal Island Federal Penitentiary in L.A., so this is where it kind of gets a little interesting. Uh, he already has, like, this manipulative, like, personality, this, like, little factor about him that's just, like, you know, 
I'm like, I know everything. Uh, kind of persuasive to people, clearly. Uh, he reads Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So at this point, he like is looking at Dale Carnegie like some kind of like God. And I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to read this book. Yeah, like I was kind of already like, oh, I should probably this book because yeah. I like I'm, yeah. I'm curious so um he reads this book he like cherishes it you know you know like he's taking all these like ideas from this book and like putting them into his life and trying to like castrate them pretty much so in 1958 he has a brief release he wants to try something different he wants to be a pimp I'm dead <laughs> <laughs> stealing cars evidently wasn't working out for him uh so he starts to transport women across state lines so like okay you're, you're a piece of shit uh but he gets pointers from inmates like who were doing this you know beforehand on uh, how to get young vulnerable women and it's like why are you taking pointers from people who are caught behind bars like <laughs> what it like obviously what they did did not work out for them so you're just gonna take their like information <laughs> and run with it and again it does not work out for him he gets caught like he's just a shitty fucking criminal yeah <laughs> like just stop now right like can we just like act normal here <laughs> so this time while he's locked up, he, when I say, like, heavy on the quotes, becomes, quote-unquote, a musician. Uh, he learns how to play the guitar. He starts writing songs. Uh, it was said he wrote about 80 songs while he was in prison. And he starts doing, like, the talent shows in prison. Everybody's kind of, like, boosting him up. Like, okay, you're pretty good at this. You know, like, you got a thing going for you here. So that's the last thing this motherfucker needed to need, you know, here, but whatever. <laughs> so in 1967, he was paroled. Um, and I actually read this out of the Smithsonian Magazine, and I quote, Manson was considered so thoroughly institutionalized by authorities that upon his 1967 release from a California prison, he asked the warden if he could stay. Well, like I said, I, I was in prison with people that, didn't want to go home. Some people don't have lives outside of there. Like, you know what I'm saying? They don't have family. They don't have friends. And it's so much easier to live in there with everything given to you. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have, like... You have no responsibility in there. Like Everything's you, handed. Right. The three hots and a cot mentality. Facts. Like, it, yeah. it's just easier. So some people just do become so institutionalized that when they get out in the real world, they're just kind of like, oh, shit. Like, like I don't want to go back. But I mean, like, I said. couldn't imagine, like, being locked up and being like, oh, you know what? <laughs> fuck my freedom like just let me stay a little longer like I just could not imagine so um by the time he gets out it's kind of like a different uh age like I guess you can say it's kind of like the age of Aquarius the summer of love you know hippies guys like we're talking hippies and peace yeah. love music sex rock and roll drugs the whole shebang all my favorite things right <laughs> so um so anyway yeah, he gets out. It's kind of like a new world for him. So he's trying to kind of find his place, see where he fits in. He ends up, you know, getting entangled with some people. Oh, entangled's been such a word. This word, I'm like this year, the I've, year I've of entanglement. Five, five of <laughs> <laughs> entanglements. That is like the word of twenty twenty. Like fucking entanglement. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. um... He, like I said, he read this book. He laid him, labeled himself a guru. 
Um, you know, he had the ideas from Carnegie's book and also from the Bible. So here he is finding young, vulnerable women, um, spewing his bullshit, playing his fucking dinky ass guitar, like thinking he's, you know, God. And I mean, I guess that's a different era. We weren't around back then. So maybe like that was like a thing and like that was like attractive. Right. But like I look at him and I'm like, ew, like you're so ugly. ugly. You're, like, you're ugly <laughs> as fuck, bro. Like a scruffy dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you and all. <laughs> so anyway, um, it was said by like the women in the Manson family that he would like lure them in by like giving them drugs, which was like LSD at the time. That was a big thing. Uh, he'd have sex with them. He'd make them feel like they were important. A lot of these girls that actually like became part of the Manson family came from good families. Answer, yeah, like he came from like. They came from good families. They were running away, thought they'd find something better, were looking for acceptance. And then you got this fucking clown who's like, I'm going to give you some drugs and I'm going to, like, date rape you and tell you, like, I'm going to love you forever. And if you just do what I tell you to do, your life will be perfect. Like, okay. Who died just, and made you, you bad, just motherfucker? Fuck without having to give him something, then you got no <laughs> Right. So, um... Like I said, he wanted to be a rock star. Uh, the one song that I was listening to was Look At Your Game Girl. Um, as much as I hate this motherfucking piece of dog shit, I'm I not, love that song. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna knock some of his music. Like, I want to so badly say it was shitty, but, like... It really wasn't. Not all, no. Like, so, like, I mean... I'm not gonna say I liked every single song, but... Right, he like... He had some good ones, and... Some of them, like, and, and if you think back to the era, like, you listen to the song, you're like, okay, I can feel the vibe. vibe like, right, you can yeah. understand, like, why people were boosting him. Because he really could have had a good thing for, you know, going for him at that point. Um, so he's developing, like, this little tribe of people. He's looking for, you know, they're all essentially homeless. They ain't got no jobs. They ain't doing shit with their lives. So he finds this place that's called Spawn Ranch, and it's owned by George Spawn who essentially is an old fuck. He's a pedo- he's a pedophile, um, pretty much. He's almost blind. And what he would do is he would let them live there for free, rent-free. But anything he said went. So, um, you know, Manson would have the girls, like, take care of them, clean the house, cook, have sex with them. Like, I mean, like, think about it. Most A lot of these girls were underage. So you're definitely a pedophile. Like, you're gross. Right. So you're a predator. Uh, so anyway... Uh, this is one of the most interesting things I found because I knew I knew this name from somewhere, but, uh, Lynette Fromm was specifically, uh, given to George Bond by Manson to pretty much be like his main caretaker, you know, please him, do whatever you got to do for him. Uh, they nicknamed her Squeaky and that's because this old fuck used to pinch her and she would squeal. So he started calling her Squeaky, like, (laughs) hey Squeaky, like, no, um, so Lynette Fromm actually was, uh, the one who attempted assassination on President Gerald Ford. And That's she, very interesting. Yeah, she's currently serving, like, a life sentence, and, like, so you, like, fucked up, Squeaky. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you fucked up big time. So, um, what Manson would do is he would send some of the women in the family to, like, Hollywood or, like, bustling areas to try to, like, lure famous people and when doing this, like, they would just hitchhike, really, and just, like, try to find a famous person. Well, lo and behold, they end up scoring one day. Uh, they meet Dennis Wilson, who is no other than the Beach Boys drummer. Um, you know, I don't really care for the Beach Boys. I never no. really cared for the music. And I feel like this has a part to do with it. Like, is it your music or is it just I don't like you, Dennis Wilson? <laughs> I'm dead. I don't know here. I'm a little conflicted. So, um... 
he, you know, at this point, he picks these girls up. They go back with him to his apartment. They're pretty much, like, boosting Charles Manson. Like, hey, we know this guy. He's pretty, you know, cool. He writes good music. da 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 Whatever. Spewing bullshit out their mouths. So... So that's probably why he was doing it, though, was because by using a famous person or getting the famous people that... He thought that that could make him famous. Like exactly. That's exactly why he was it, doing yeah, it. If, they could, if he could get them to listen to him and they thought he was good, then it's going to... Right. That's exactly why he was doing it. So, uh, June 1968, uh, Dennis Wilson comes home to his apartment and he sees the Manson family doing some type of recording session in Dennis's apartment. Uh, so, he's obviously, like, thrown off. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? Um... You know, like, there's a bunch of weird people in my house. Like, I don't get it. Um, so, at this point, Dennis actually asked them if they were going to kill him. And fucking weird-ass Charlie Manson gets on his knees, kisses Dennis's feet, and says, Does it look like I'm going to hurt you, man? Like, I'm sorry, but, like, if someone ever kissed my fucking feet, like, I would be like, um... No. <laughs> I'm going to kick you in your mouth. Like, that's fucking weird. Um, I got a foot fetish. Yeah, that's fucking weird. I could never. I would punch someone in the face, seriously. So Not Cute little girl feet? Like, come on. Ew, but it was, like, Not his feet. Girls, like, guys. it was a guy. Like, it's so fucking yeah. weird. So, anyway, um, these guys actually end up becoming friends. Like, they get pretty close. Charles Manson knows a lot about what's going on in Dennis Wilson's life. Uh... You know, he was going through some shit, and, you know, Charlie knew all about it. So, Charlie was giving Dennis, like, you know, the girls for the orgies and the drugs. So, I mean, it was just, like, a big clusterfuck of clusterfuck, really. Like, you know, just supplying the goods. So, you know, Dennis <laughs> kept him around. Um, at this point, uh, Terry Melcher, who was a record producer for Columbia Records, was actually at Dennis's house one night and met Charlie Manson. Uh, so right here, like, you know, meeting Dennis was like an off chance and like, you know, was like, okay, like something could happen here. But then he met Terry Melcher, who's like the top dog right. and like could make this happen for him. So yes. he was pretty pumped about that. But he gets shut down very quickly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're going to get into that. So, uh, by the end of the summer, I could not find who he did this to exactly. Uh, but they're having a recording session and, a guy kind of, like, put it out to Charlie, like, to change a few words, like, suggested a couple things. And Charlie, like, lunged at this dude and pulled a fucking knife on him. Really? So, at this point, uh, Dennis is kind of, you know, like, okay, like, who is this guy? Like, what? He's not the person that I thought he was. Yeah, like, he's definitely, like, getting, like, okay. As if all the red flags weren't already there. Right, right. So, you know, get your shit together, Dennis. So, <laughs> anyway, um... So, Terry Melcher, this actually was a direct quote from him, and he said, uh, They consumed Dennis's allowance. They wrecked his Ferrari, probably his Rolls Royce, and his home. End quote. So, like, if outside sources are... Wrecked his life, period. Right. Like, if outside sources are, like, seeing that you're, like, being such a fucked up, like, you know, these people are just, like, fucking his life up, like, you know what I'm saying? And I actually saw an interview with Mike Love from the Beach Boys, and he was saying, like, they were invited to dinner one night at Dennis's house, and him and another bandmate got there, and, like, they were the only one with clothes on. That's fucking weird. Like, so they were up to some fuckery, man. Like, Absolutely. Like, they were not backing down. Like, every night was a party. So, uh... Like, with me. Like, Dennis said that, um, 
you know, he's, he was starting to get like a little weary. And so he didn't know how to really shut Charles out of his life. And he knew he couldn't just do it abruptly. So, you know, he kind of, you know, makes this like deal with uh, Charlie Manson here. So if you know anything about this case, you've probably heard this song cease to exist. Um, it's pretty much like the more, more famous one and right. for a good reason. Uh, so reportedly Dennis gets permission from Charles Manson to use this song. Uh, you know, pretty much like, you know, his last stitch effort of like, I'm going to show you that I'm trying to like be on your good side, right. you know? Uh, so Charles Manson's for it. Like, yeah, you know, pretty much just like you go ahead, use it, you know, just put credit where credit's due really. Absolutely. So, and honestly, rightfully so. Uh, so <laughs> this is where Dennis fucks up. Uh, he takes the song, him and the Beach Boys start doing it, uh, changes it to Never Learn Not to Love, and they actually premiered that on the Mike Douglas show, and they gave zero fucking credit to Charlie Manson. <laughs> Super salty. Oh, yeah. Like, he fucked up big time. So now, you know, Charles is, like, fucking pissed. Like, you took... As he should be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have been mad, too. Like, I totally would have been pissed. I would have been like, dude, like, you just jacked my shit and didn't give me any fucking credit for what I did. Um... You know, so, like, I, he definitely, Dennis Wilson definitely fucked up right there. Like, that was, you know, not cool at all. Um, but, again, I'm not sticking up for Charles Manson because he's a scumbag. <laughs> so, right. Fuck you, Charles Bitch. Manson. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, at this point, uh, Charles Manson starts, you know, threatening Dennis. So, like, remember, I know where you live. I know where your kids sleep. I... You know, just that whole fucking spiel. And uh, there was actually a direct quote from an interview with Charles Manson. And he said, I gave Dennis a bullet, didn't I? I gave him a bullet because he changed the words to my song. End quote. Like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, So you're going to kill this motherfucker because right. he took your song? Like, if you're that good, write another song. Like, no, did kill him? No. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> right. what was that supposed to right. mean? Like, right, right. So, like, you know, just, I mean, I understand you're mad. You have every right to be mad. I mean, honestly, the best way to have gone about it is, you know, he wrote the song. Like, if he would have handled it the right way, got, like, an attorney. You should, uh, you know, it exactly. Like, if you're putting a song in a famous person's hand, like, you should know better. Yes. Like, anything could happen. Anything's fair game. So, he definitely got fucked, but he could have handled it in a lot of different ways so he got fucked in more ways than one right so <laughs> right so uh at this point dennis is completely out of the picture he actually like abandons his house like just completely up and leaves like nobody knows where the fuck he went so he turns to his last resort uh which was the top dog terry melcher which is that record producer we were talking about before um terry melcher actually ended up coming to spawn ranch and listened to like a recording and did like a recording session with uh charles manson and the some of the women from the family had spoken and said that he did about 10 to 12 songs um you know terry melcher sat there pretty respectfully listened to his music and then by the end of it was like you know you're pretty talented but like this is just not, not for me right this is just not working out like this is not what i'm looking for right now so he was pissed super Oh, he was mad. So, you know, at this point, he's, like, enraged. Like, fuck everybody in this industry. Fuck all you pieces of shit. I'm Charles Manson. He's I'm coming for heads, no? Right. I'm better than all you motherfuckers. Like, I'm going to make my point. So, at this point, he turns to the family and tells them that they need money for guns. So, they come up with this idea 
that they are going to actually rob this man, Gary Hinman. Uh, Charles Manson believed that he came into, like, this huge inheritance. And uh, Gary Hinman was actually friends with Bobby Bosley, who was also hanging around with the Manson family a lot, uh, which is how, obviously, he probably got his inside, you know, inside information there. Um, so they were going to rob him. So the one night, uh, Bobby Bosley, Susan Atkins, Mary Brunner all showed up to uh, Gary Hinman's house. And, uh, Bobby Bosley, like, pistol whipped him. And then no other than Manson comes in, and he's got a fucking sword. And he's got Hinman at sword point. And he chops his ear off. Yeah. Like, demands $20,000, and little did he fucking know that Gary Hinman literally had, had like, no, no money. money. Like, no <laughs> money. Like, I think it was said, like, he had a couple dollars, like, floating around the house, and his bank account had, like, nothing. So, like, he, like... Clown. For what reason, right? You guys should have did your research. Right. Right. You guys suck. So. What would even possess him to think that he had $20,000? I don't know. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, Charles Manson thought that he came into some money. And like I said, Bobby Bosley was friends with Gary Hinman. So I don't know if, like, maybe Gary Hinman said something to Bobby about it. And, like, obviously, like, Bobby ran back and told Charles something. So, like, I mean, you just never know. It's Mm -hmm. hearsay. So, uh. In an interview with Charles Manson, if you've ever watched anything on this, I'm sure you've seen him say this. He says, don't ask me what to do. You know what What to do. Um, At this point, after he chopped his ear off, he actually uh, turned to the family that was there, so to speak, and said, like, you know, don't ask me what to do. You know what to do. Like, kill this motherfucker. I'm not telling you to do it, but telepathically know what I'm thinking and, like, take care of it. Right. So, of course, you know. Because he wants to play the victim. He wants to be the innocent one. Really. Right. Like, he, that's why do you think he didn't take place in any of the murders? Right. Like, he, he always, always me. the victim, never the villain. Like, you, he, yeah, he knew yeah. what he was doing. <clears throat> so, uh, Susan Atkins put a pillow over his face. Uh, Gary Hinman was repeatedly stabbed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and after all was said and done, they left a paw print of blood on the wall. And next to that was written, political piggy. Um, so what does politics have to do with any of this shit? Well, I'm here to tell you about Helter Skelter. Um, Helter Skelter was a Beatles song. And for some fucking reason, Charles Manson took from this song that it was going to initiate a race war. Like, the blacks would overcome the whites like, now think about this time period. It was around the civil rights and all that shit going on. Um, it, it, it was just like the era, too. Yeah, you know what I mean? What yeah. So not only are you a fucking conniving, murdering piece of shit, but you're fucking racist, too. So now I hate you now ten times more. Right. Now we have to dub your shit. Dub your shit. Big dub, nigga. <laughs> so anyway, um, he believed that the black radicals were going to murder prominent white people and the cops would get involved and you know babylon was falling pretty much like this was how this was gonna be the way of life he, and he believes that that's what this song was about right and it really had nothing to do with absolutely it. nothing so another rumor about him uh was that he loved knives uh, this is what i thought was crazy um so what he would do is he would make the girls of the family stand against trees and throw knives around their faces. That is how they showed him that their yeah, love for him. Yeah. Yes, like, if you love me, you're going to stand against this tree and you're going to, like, let me throw these knives around your face, bro. Like, 
<laughs> like what no not a cold day in hell like if your brother ever said to me like stand against this tree let me throw this knife at your face I'm dead. i'd be like fuck you why don't you stand by the tree <laughs> like fuck that these these the like these <laughs> girls right like it's just it's so mind-blowing to me that these girls were so dumb because like i can't even get my kids to like listen to me to pick up after themselves like how the fuck did he influence like all these people to just like fucking do this shit like it just blows my mind um uh fam- me, right so. <laughs> like, family member tex watson would actually hold how to commit murder classes and he would make it very clear to pull up on the knife. So don't just stab somebody and pull it out. No, you gotta pull it up to do more damage. They would test it on bales of hay. Like, I mean, like, how much time do these fucking people have on their hands? Right. Like, like, go do something with your life. Get like, <laughs> I'm gonna hold the class I'm holding today, guys, is how to commit murder. Like, just, you know, don't pull the knife out, pull it right on up, and it'll do more damage. Like, You're supposed to spin it in circles, actually. I, I, that's just, like, yeah. ugh, people are sick. Like, ugh. Yeah. So. Uh, this is where things start kind of cracking down a little bit. Uh, January of 1969, uh, Terry Melcher moves out of 10,050 Cielo Drive. Um, at this point, obviously, you know, Charles Manson does his homework, knows where this guy lives, whatever. Uh, the Polanskis move in February of 1969. And by the Polanskis, I mean Roman Polanski, the famous movie director, and his beloved, beautiful mother-to-be wife, Sharon Tate. Um, she was fire. She was so beautiful. Like, she, she really was. was. Like, yes. oh, my God. So. I would have gave her a baby, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, don't mind David. He's uh-huh. just, like, it's just David. <laughs> so, anyway, um, at this point, uh, that property had a guest house. And that was actually uh, given to 19-year-old William Gerritsen. He was the living caretaker for the property. He was paid $35 per week to pet sit and do some chores around the house, which I guess, like, back then, I mean, first of all, money's different now than it was then, too. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're just taking the dog out a couple times a day, like, and just sit there by a pool, like, I would not complain. Fair so, enough. uh, he, He's you know. probably getting paid good. Right, you know, like, you know, he, he was taken care of, probably, and, you know, lived at this beautiful place. So, um... Roman Polanski actually met Sharon T on a movie project, uh, The Fearless Vampire Killers, three years prior to this. And at this point, uh, Sharon Tate was 26 years old and eight and a half months pregnant. Like I said, she was, like, absolutely beautiful. She was an up-and-coming uh, aspiring actress. She was in a few movies. If you know anything about old movies or have seen her, you would have seen her in, like, Valley of the Dolls. The Wrecking Crew, The 13 Chairs. Um, she was in a bunch of shit. She was really, like... She was she, really good. Yeah, she was going to probably be one of those, like, big-time yeah. actresses. She was just so beautiful, you know? So they rented this property because they were about to have a baby. Like I said, she was eight and a half months pregnant. Uh, Roman had to leave town uh, on business, so which is kind of shitty. You know, she's so far in her pregnancy that anything is really a go at that point. I mean, I have four kids, I know. What's weird like, to me is, like, her ex-boyfriend was staying there with her. Right, like, so... And he was cool with that, though. Right, so it just shows you what a good relationship they had then, right. you know, and Trusting it's just... It. Right, Things so... Things like that nowadays. No, not at all. So three friends stayed back with her. Uh, the one that David just mentioned, J.C. Ring, who was actually a celebrity hairstylist and her ex-boyfriend. Like I said, I thought that was kind of weird, but hey, to each their own, and... If they had a good relationship and it was trusting and, you know, like, times again, like again, times were different. Like, 
it's not like how it was today. So, I mean, it could have, you know, whatever. They were friends. He stayed back with her. Um, Abigail Folger, who actually, in fact, was the heiress to the Folger coffee brand. Really? Yes. I, I did not know that. that. I did That's not know great. that either. Um, I know I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, so I apologize in advance. Uh, the last and third friend to stay back with Sharon Tate was a Polish writer, Wojciech Frykowski. Um, I definitely feel like I'm saying that wrong, but that's the three people that stayed back with her. So, uh, August 8th, 1969, uh, William Gerritsen decides to call it early, pretty much. Uh, his friend, uh, Stephen Parent, over. So, you know, they hang out, whatever. Stephen Parent leaves. After, not long after he left, um, Gerritsen starts hearing, like, blood-curling screams coming from the house and, like, towards the main property. Uh, he picks up the phone to, you know, dial the police, and the phone line is completely dead. So, I can only imagine, like, being in that situation, like, I would have been freaking the fuck out. Like, yeah, but, like, he didn't even, like, leave to investigate or I would, I no. wouldn't. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Like, absolutely fucking not. Like, I mean, if it was you or someone close to my family, yes. Oh, yeah. But, like, I, but, you know, like I said, he's young. He was 19 he years was old. scared to death. I would have been scared shitless. Fuck, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, no, fuck that. So... Um, he ended up, he ends up being suspect number one. Right. Right. So before, you know, all this is even transpiring and he hears these screams, what's going on outside, uh, Manson actually informed Linda Kasabian, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Tex Watson. Now is the time for Helter Skelter and to kill everyone inside. So he sent him on a mission. Do not leave a single fucking single living person in that house. Um, this actually threw me off because I... Just listen to text. He knows what to do. Yeah, like, I I was thrown off by this because I thought that, um, I, I always believed that Charles Manson sent them in because Terry Melcher had lived there. So I thought he still thought that Terry Melcher lived there, but he didn't. He knew that he, Terry, knew he didn't live there? He knew he didn't live there. Oh, so what's either. horrifying about that is, like, not only are you sending, you know, these people in to kill not even who you're really going after and who you are, like, out of, you know, have revenge for. Um, it was more of, like, the message. Like, hey, look, I know you don't live here, but I'm going to kill everybody who does now. And just so you know, like, I'm on your trail. Uh, yeah. Like, that's, like, fucking fucked. Yeah, like, I would... definitely premeditated. In, oh, uh, yeah. Like, and if I was Terry Melcher, like, I probably would have been so sick to my stomach and so scared. Like, holy fuck. Like, I just moved out of there. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh... Stephen Parent, uh, William Garrison's friend here, he actually uh, gets in his car. He pulls up closer to the Tate residence, pretty much, um, and apparently saw that the wires were caught, which I guess they were, uh, from what I read, you know, clear as day. Like, everybody could see that the wires were caught, uh, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, yeah. They all, t- it said that Tex and one other, the girl, but they didn't tell me which girl it was. I could not find who actually cut the wires, but... Uh, Tex definitely was part of the wire cutting scheme there. Um, Who was the one that was outside watching? Like the wa- Well, the we're, yeah, we're about to get into that right now. So Tex sees this car. He sees the headlights. You know, this fucking macho man piece of dog shit walks up to this poor innocent child in this car pretty much. I can't say child, but this kid uh, walks up on him and shoots him right yeah four pulls times. a 22 caliber revolver out and shot him four times in the upper torso yeah killing him uh they For all nothing. exactly For nothing. And, and it's sad because he ultimately really was in the wrong place at the wrong time yes. and it just like 
it, it just it's so fucking sad. It so, um, Tex Watson proceeds to leave him in the car. Uh, he climbs through the window and lets two of the women in. It was, back to your question, Linda Kastabian was the lookout. She was the okay. one who was outside. Um, so while this is going on, obviously complete havoc and just absolute terrifying murders are occurring inside. Uh, Jay Sebring actually asked who they were. And Tex replied, I'm the devil and here to do the devil's business. And he, then again, like, Jay asked, like, what are you going to do? And Tex. He's like, can you let, can you let her sit down? She's eight months pregnant, right? Yeah. Like, Like, Tex replied, you're all going to die. So Jay starts pleading for Sharon's life. He's like, listen, she's pregnant. Please don't do this. Let her have her baby. You know, kill me do that you know what i mean just begging for sharon's life which ultimately showed that he loved her too you know yeah, what i mean absolutely, and absolutely. but they were friends I exactly mean, you know, and you know sometimes it just doesn't work it out like you know yeah, being with someone but friends. like, like you, i'm friends with some of my exes till this day you right know what I'm and, like, and exactly and if you're ever in that situation like you would probably do the same thing you know what i mean yeah. so um tax at this point is pretty much like enough out of you and shoots jay sebring and right. kills him doesn't he shoot him in the face Actually, I didn't see where he shot him. That was the I one thing that, that I did I not find. Sure um, so, Frakowski actually bolts to the front door. Uh, Tex beats the butt of a gun in his face and stabbed him 51 times. Yeah. 51 fucking times he was stabbed. What's her name? Stabbed him too, though, in his lower back, right? That is such overkill. Yeah. And such, like... Like, I'm sure he was probably dead before, well, like, he absolutely. got stabbed 51 times. You know what I mean? Like, that's just sickening. So, uh, Abigail Folger actually ends up escaping out the front door. Uh, she struggles with Kasabian out front. Um, so, at this point, Patricia and Tex see her struggling. They come over. They get her pinned down, you know, pretty much three on one. Oh, yeah. Um, they stabbed her repeatedly. Yes. So, Sharon was left uh, for last she begged for her life uh you know she said you can kill me but please like just let my baby live and that's just so fucking sad i could not imagine she actually said she said just let me have my baby first you can come back and kill me later yeah like she she just wanted her baby to live so um susan atkins reportedly held her arms down while tech stabbed her in the heart um before all this even transpired, Manson did order them to leave a sign. Like, leave a sign that you were here, but do not, like, blow our cover, and, like, with who we are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Susan Atkins dips a towel in Sharon's blood and writes the word pig on the front door. Um, so, the next morning, Winnie Chapman, who was the housekeeper, saw that the uh, wires were cut. Again, apparently it was very, you know, because I'm thinking, like, how would you know wires were cut unless you were looking for them? Exactly. You know what I mean? So, obviously, this was very out in the open. Um, so, she saw the wires were cut. Uh, she went through the back and saw victims inside. So, obviously, she's probably fucking terrified. She runs out the front. She saw Abigail Folger and Frakowski in the front yard. She runs towards the driveway and sees Stephen Parent in his car dead. Uh, so at this point, she just runs to get help. I mean, I couldn't imagine, like, let like alone walking... walking right, like, like walking into, like, one dead body, let alone yes. four. Like, that would fuck you up. Four, I meant five, wait. Oh, dude. Yes, five, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't count today, guys. <laughs> so... Anyway, ultimately, Sharon suffered 16 stab wounds. Uh, She had a rope around her neck, 
which I did not understand this. The rope was actually draped over the ceiling beams, um, and they were connected to JC Bring, but they weren't like hanging from the ceiling. Like it was just like draped over, and they were connected. So I don't understand. That's kind of strange, right? Like I, I don't know what the message was there, but okay, guys. Um, Frakowski's face was swollen to unrecognition. Uh, like I said, Tex beat him in the face with the butt of the gun. Uh, apparently, his face was so swollen they could hardly recognize him. So, you know, investigators are there at the point, you know, the police arrive, they're doing some investigating, and uh, LAPD actually hears dogs barking. And when they follow the dogs, they go to the guest house, and they find William Garrison alive. So, from a police standpoint, I mean, you have, like, absolute carnage on the main property. Um, You know, you find this guest house, you find this kid completely unharmed and alive. Yes, but what makes, what, what interests me and intrigues me is why didn't they ever think to even go check over there? Like, to go to that second spot to look. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, I don't... I don't get why they wouldn't. I, I mean, if I was going to go do something like that, I'm going to check everything. You know what I'm right. saying? I'm going to fucking... So, you know, they find this kid. He's alive. They're, you know, like, what the fuck happened? And he's pretty much like, I don't know. So he's ultimately suspect, number one, like David had, uh, mentioned earlier. And they bring him into custody for questioning, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, in the following hours the manson family obviously returned back to spawn ranch for majority of the day i came across this uh quote from charles manson too which i thought was absolutely fucking humorous um it said if i started murdering people there would be none of you left (laughs) end quote (laughs) you're gonna take on the world there charlie (laughs) well charlie oh oh charlie (laughs) you fucking douche (laughs) Oh, I hate him so much. I really do. So. I hate him so much that I love him. Like, just this case. It's just like, it just draws you in. So, anyway, um, everybody kept seeing it. I kept seeing this in articles everywhere. Everybody kept referring to them as peaceful hippies that turned into a devoted death squad, which is, like, really intense but true. Because if you think about it, it all did start with, like, Charlie Manson and, like, the sex, the drugs, the you know, the love, the... right. And then it turned into like, all right, now you guys are going to kill everybody I want you to kill. And it's just like, how the fuck? But that's how he drew them in though, was. Right. And yeah. like, he was the knower of all. He was a guru. Like, you know, he's Charlie fucking Manson, man. He <laughs> knows everything. Like he knows everything. So <laughs> this is where shit gets fucked. So the investigation on Gary Hinman, mind you, he was murdered a week prior to this. Okay. Uh, as local authorities who were investigating that case actually contacted LAPD and were like, listen, um, you have the word pig written in blood and we have the word political piggy written in blood. Like, this is obviously, like, too close to home. You know, this is connected in some way. Like, like let's put our brains together and, like, get to the bottom of this, yes. you know? Yeah. What does LAPD do? Shut this shit down. They said, um, actually, I don't see a resemblance here at all. Like, <laughs> they're, they're fucking stupid. Like, I don't know what the fuck it is with California cops. Like, what is wrong with you motherfuckers? Like, from the OJ case to this to, like, yes. the Lacey Peterson case. I mean, I could go on. Like, what the fuck Which is we're wrong? we definitely do. We'll, do. we'll do Lacey Peterson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're definitely covering that. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I, you know, I have a lot to say about that oh, one. Yeah, like, oh, we, we debate about that. Oh yeah, we. That's one of the ones we'll probably be arguing, guys. <laughs> just so you know. Um. So anyway, like I said, like they, you know, this the local authorities were like who were investigating Hinman's case were like, yeah, like let's just you know put our brains together, let's do this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And LAPD's like, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, not today. We're going to do our job. Yeah, I don't see a resemblance there at all. Like, well, like it cannot be more obvious. Like, no, and it was in the same week at that. Like, right. you know, like, it, yeah. it pretty much LAPD is like, you know what, actually, we get this all the time. Like, <laughs> like yeah. what? what? No, you don't, you fucking liars. Like, <laughs> like I can't. So, uh, the following night, um, Tex Watson, uh, Charles Manson, Linda Kasabian, Leslie Van Houten, who actually was not present the night before. She came along for this one. And Susan Atkins were all driving aimlessly around L.A. Uh, Charles Manson said, like, we're good. I'm, we're doing this right tonight. Like, I'm going to show you how to do this right. So he's out for blood. He wants a bloodbath, you know. He's badass fucking Charles Manson, and uh, he's going to show him how to do it. So... Uh, Manson was actually getting agitated with Linda Kasabian in the car because she was nervous and upset. Like, she was like, oh, fuck. Like, what did I do? Like, I don't want to do this again. Mommy, help. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) And Manson was pretty much like, bitch, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, you're going to get us caught. Like, and if you do, I'll kill you myself type shit, you know? So, uh, Los Phyllis, they were in this, uh, neighborhood of Los Phyllis, and that's where they find the LaBianca residence. Uh, just a little background on the LaBiancas. Lino was a successful businessman. He ran a chain of small markets. Uh, he met Rosemary as a server at a restaurant. Uh, from what I gathered about them, everyone pretty much in unison said that, like, they were really good people, uh, had a lot, you know, friends, you know, were just, you know, good morals, just good-hearted people. Um, so with that being said, what happened was Tex, uh, as soon as they rolled up on this property, Tex went through the back door yet again, because obviously he has a pattern here. Uh, both Charles Manson and Tex tied up Lino and Rosemary. Uh, they put pillowcases over their heads and, um, before Charles Manson left after doing his big, you know, contribution, because he was going to be the one to do it and show them. Uh, he actually told Tex to make sure everyone did something. Like, he wanted everyone there to have a part in this tonight. Like, he wanted them all to Now, be... see, he had them believing, though, that he was going to also be involved. Right. But he wasn't. Right, because he's a conniving piece of dog right. shit. So, anyway, Manson returns to the car where Patricia and Leslie were actually still waiting and tells them to get out. So, and what I... This is, this is crazy. Uh, in an interview, a reporter, you know, was questioning about, like, this and everything. Uh, and Charles Manson says, and I quote, What Tex did is his business. What you do is yours. I don't tell you what to do. End quote. Manipulative motherfucker, Like, I don't tell you what to do. Like, no, you fucking don't, Charlie Manson. You're not my fucking boss. It's conniving. It's just fucking strange. Right. Like, like, what the fuck? So... Um, 
from actually Leslie Van Houten did this interview and from what she was saying actually Rosemary LaBianca was not in any way um like freaking out in the beginning uh Lino was in the living room Rosemary was in the bedroom she was asking questions like what are you doing like what's happening you know who are you but she wasn't freaking out and that wasn't until Tex stabbed Lino in the living room and then Rosemary like obviously freaked so rightfully so you know what are you doing to my husband like yada 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 so this dumb bitch, Patricia, tried to <laughs> fucking stab her, but the knife bent. Like, bitch, you're fired. Oh, the fuck? Right. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> like, you... you take off. Right. Like, so Tex is like, you're fired, bitch. Get the fuck out of the way. Uh, Tex stabs her and tells Leslie to do something. So he hands her the knife and Leslie stabbed her 16 fucking times. Like, overkill. Yeah. Like, fucking, like, just disgusting. Like, that's just so horrible when on she, so many levels. When she talked about it, there was, like, no remorse. There was no... Nothing. No, she like, just, she was very empty, like, yes. oh, yeah, like, yes. this is what we did. Yeah. And, like, like, what? No. So, uh, good old Patricia here, you know, her fucking good old attempt at trying to stab uh, her in a knife bunch, she had to come back with a vengeance. So, uh... She takes a carving fork, like, one of those big-ass carving forks, and she actually, like, stuck it in Lino's stomach and carved the word war. So, you know, obviously, Helter Skelter, it's war, you know, these fucking know-it-alls know everything. So, in blood, it was written on the wall, rise, death to pigs, and on the refrigerator, Helter Skelter was written in blood. So, as if this couldn't get any fucking worse... These bozos, instead of fleeing the fucking scene like a normal fucking criminal probably would have, um, they decide, well, hey, we're already here. Let's take their cheese and milk and, milk. and go sit in some bushes. bushes right. Like, <laughs> I'm dead. so first of all, you guys have the audacity to come up in here, kill fucking innocent people, and then rob their dairy products. <laughs> like, you guys are the most fucking horrible human beings I have ever heard of in my entire life. Like, you guys all need to be dead. So, this is where, again, we're circling back to the cops where it's, like, getting interesting. Uh, two investigators. There was two um, departments, like, within the same department working on each case. One for the LaBianca murders, one for the Tate murders. They saw no connection. <laughs> of course they didn't. No. Why there's, you know, there's only three, like, death to pigs, political piggy, yeah. you know, pig. I mean, why would it be connected? Like... You know, but there's no connection. They didn't say no resemblance at all. So, you know, good old LAPD. You guys rock. So, anyway, like, get your fucking shit together. Like, how long are we going to let this fuckery go on for? Like, before, like, I just, I cannot. So, that day that uh, the murders were discovered, you know, took place, uh, Garrettson was actually ruled out as the suspect. Remember, he was, yes, he was the caretaker that was brought into custody, suspect number one, and they released him the day all that happened. He reportedly took a polygraph and passed it with flying colors. So, hero, here we go, LAPD, my dudes. (laughs) Uh, they came up with two theories. Uh, one for each murder. Uh, Tate murders. This happened because it was drug-related. Because two victims had drugs in their system and Jay Sebring had marijuana in his car. So, you know, LAPD was just like, no, yeah, it's definitely drug related. You know, he had some weed in his car, so it all makes sense now. Is there, is there in Compton or something? Or like, like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. 
So then, uh, Roman Polanski's, like, fucking pissed. And he's like, uh, no, that's not the case. Do your fucking job. Like, oh, are you fucking kidding me right now? So, the Lino LaBianca theory was his horse and gambling problem. They thought that he could have had something go bad. Um pretty much, so to speak, and we're bringing the mafia into it. So LAPD decided to throw that in there. Like, oh, the mafia might be involved. <laughs> this looks like just a mafia anything, hit. Just like, anything to just, I don't know. To not like, do their fucking job. Yeah, like, yes. that's all it ever comes down to. Like, why do you guys, like, like, the evidence, like, and had they had just, like, when the other, you know, police, de- like, came came into like the whole Gary Hinman thing like they're like hey listen let's put our heads together this is obviously you know you and me are not investigators like but we could see that and be like okay like something is up here like obviously these are connected in some fucking type of way right we we do our own investigating (laughs) we should be I feel like we would get down to some business (laughs) so anyway they just like, you they completely you, you bypassed think, you it. You think your significant other's cheating? Call us. Right. <laughs> we are private investigators. <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, like, I was just, like, and, you know, had they had just fucking did that, like, they probably would have been onto something way sooner. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, at this point, Manson starts getting more furious. Um, he is acting out more. He obviously wants more blood. He's, like, just getting, he's just changing completely. So, reportedly, he was beating some of the family members, like the women in the family. Uh, it was reported that he beat family member Diane Lake with a broken chair leg. He, I supposedly, purposely broke the chair, broke the leg off of it, and senselessly beat her with it. Yes. Um, so, yes. he decides, all right, I'm going to pack these motherfuckers up, and we're going to leave, and we're going to travel to Death Valley, which was 250 miles away. Yeah, um, they made it hot. Right. So, they... Um, found this place called Barker Ranch. So, whatever, they moved there. Now, this is where this gets even more interesting. And this is when, like, you thought it couldn't get any weirder is when it really starts getting weird. Um, Supposedly, in a rage, uh, Charles Manson and Tex Watson, uh, there was road equipment in the road, and supposedly they had lit it on fire, and it started, like, this massive fucking fire. So... Obviously, someone called in a, a, you know, a fire. So the local authorities were like, oh, someone called in a fire. We better go check it out. <laughs> so at least someone in California was doing their fucking job right. at this point. So I got to give credit where credit's due there. So they go uh, check it out. Come to find out. They get to the ranch and they find a bunch of stolen property. Uh, dune buggies, stolen engines, stolen cars. So once again, Charles Manson is behind bars for like Grand Theft Auto, all his fucking things. He swore he was good at that. Got caught for every single fucking time. Um, again, world's worst criminal. criminal like terrible. <laughs> so anyway, like he's like, like not even smart about it. Like I, oh. I, that's what blows my mind. Oh, and like all these people are following him around. Genius though. Like, but like all these people are following him around. Like, oh yeah, like right. you know, he he knows the way. It's like no, you don't. So. They take everybody that was at the ranch at that time into custody for all this shit. Uh, this. This was the beginning this, of the end right here. The, oh, yeah. This is, uh, shit hits the fan. <laughs> so, it's October 1969. Uh, Susan Atkins, this bitch. <laughs> She's in, oh, my God. Let me just give you a little background on Susan Atkins. I found that she had quite the reputation for not being able to keep a secret. 
Like, she could not keep a secret. She was, like, the group gossiper. She, like, was telling everybody's business. Everybody, Right. Everybody knew not to fucking trust her. Like, they just knew she was gonna talk about it. And, you know. Which blows my mind. If you knew this about her, why the fuck would you bring her with you to commit, like, these horrible acts of crime? That's why you're supposed to do shit by yourself. You don't fucking bring people. Right. So, like, fucking stupid. knows that. (laughs) good to know (laughs) so uh susan atkins was in an lapd holding center and she actually befriends her cellmate shelly nadell um this is where it gets twisty uh don't she tell her about it she was telling shelly nadell the one day she says do you know about the sharon tate murders and shelly replied with uh yeah why and susan says do you know who did it? And Shelly says, no, who? And then doesn't Susan Atkins say, you're looking at her. Like, she couldn't wait to tell her. So at first, like, Shelly... wait till you tell them how. Right. (laughs) Shelly was kind of, like, a little skeptical at first because she's like, maybe this lady's just, like, crazy. But this is where, by fate, this is the craziest shit. Shelly Nadell and her husband had actually went inside this residence before at 10,050 Cielo Drive because they considered running the property. Yep. So she had been inside this house before. So she knew. So, yes. So like she starts, you know, questioning her. She's like, oh, so tell me more. Like, what was it like? What did it look like? What did you guys do? And doesn't Susan Atkins tell her about how they stabbed her and, you know, how they killed everyone. And then they threw the rope over the, the beams. beams. And yep. right then and there, Shelly knew, like, she was not bullshitting. Like, no. this was yes. real because she's like, I had been in this house. I knew there was beams in the ceiling. She wasn't lying. So before Shelly rightfully snitched on this dumbass, um, she actually was getting more information out of her. And she had asked her, like, you know, what did you say to these people? Like, did you guys, like, you know what I mean? Like, what did you do? So uh, start quote, Shelly uh, said that Susan Atkins said, Bitch, I don't care if you're having a baby or not. You're going to die, end quote. So right there, I just want to, like, punch this bitch's face off. Um, And then she also, before uh, Shelly snitched on her, told her, and I thought this was just mind-blowing, they were actually seeking out more celebrities, like more famous people to kill. Uh, Frank Sinatra was on that hit list. Uh, The plan was to skin him alive. No, not Frank. Yeah, skin him alive make purses out of him and sell them on Hollywood Boulevard. Whoa. Yeah. Like, don't go get a normal job. Like, right. that's a lot of work. That's like, good. why don't you just go get a job? But, okay. That's some um, The other one, like, there was a bunch, but, like, the two most famous ones that I knew on this list, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, um, they were going to remove her eyeballs. Really? So, rightfully so, Shelly snitched on this dumbass bitch, and, um... You know, obviously, like, investigators get involved and everything. So, Susan Atkins takes, a like, a deal. Um, at this point, she starts denying that she stabbed anyone, uh, texted all the stabbing. She names Patricia, Leslie, Linda, and Bobby Beausoleil. Um, She made a deal to testify against Charles Manson, who at this time was uh, charged with seven counts of murder and one count of conspiracy, which I thought was kind of weird being that it was only one count of conspiracy just because it was so premeditated. But I guess, like, I mean, different times. I don't really, right. you know what I mean? I don't know. Um, so the defense, you know, once all this gets rolling, the defense starts pulling, like, the, you know, Manson didn't actually murder anyone. 
you know, he's innocent. He didn't, you know, didn't touch a murder weapon. Like, you know, they did what they wanted to do. You know, that whole fucking spiel. We've talked about it about a million times already. Um, so somehow, some way, uh, Susan Atkins was actually, uh, given the opportunity to have full immunity from any of this. Which just completely crazy to me. Right. To like, just cooperate and, you know, snitch on Charles Manson and everyone else. So this dumb bitch is convinced by Charles Manson somehow to not take the deal. She was granted full fucking immunity and was like, eh, that's never mind. So I'll just stay in prison. Right now or? Uh, no, we'll get to that too. Okay. Um, so she uh, drops the deal. Uh, Dennis denied any um, contact with this trial. He wanted nothing. Dennis Wilson, remember the drummer of Beach Boys? Yeah. Um, wanted nothing to do with this. Uh, Terry Melcher, too. Like, they wanted absolutely nothing to do with this trial, even though it would have been easier to build a case. So it was said that Terry Melcher actually kind of went rogue for a while. So it was ultimately hard to build a case against Charles Manson. Like, they knew they were going to get everybody else um, on, you know, murdering because they actually were taking part of it. But Manson was hard because he didn't actually do anything. Like, right. physically, other than cut that guy's ears off. But. I was just going to say that. Right. <laughs> So, um, come to find out, uh, shit starts getting a little sticky. Uh, Linda Kasabian starts talking and she made the authorities know that the night of the murders, both nights, she was actually chosen to drive because she was the only one with a valid driver's license. So she decides to turn on Charles Manson, like for a good reason. Right. Um, anyway... In 1970, the Manson trials began. Uh, the prosecution is trying to prove to the court how, you know, Manson Being has control over these people. Yes. So, and I'll tell you what, like, the Manson family did not help his case at all. Like, they were camped outside of the courthouse, uh, handing out flyers on what a swell guy, you know, Charles Manson was. He could have never possibly did this. Um, you know, going through the hallways, holding hands, linking arms, singing songs. And they weren't just even singing, like, normal songs, like, that everybody knew they were singing Charles Manson songs. Um, So the one day, Charles Manson actually showed up to court with an X between his eyes. And when asked why he did that, he said it was because society had X'd him out. Like, you're a bitch. Like, you're a full flown bitch like society x'd him out like that's some bitch ass shit so anyway um you know a lot of scenes were made in the courtroom uh manson was removed several times for disorderly conduct uh at one point when linda kasabian was going to take the stand he actually had like taken his finger and like you know did that motion across the neck like Like to linda yes like you know you speak for whatever you're about to say i'm gonna fucking kill you for you know what i mean so, uh, next thing you know, there was an article in a newspaper, uh, actually from President Nixon himself, and uh, he had made a statement pretty much saying that he thought Charles Manson was guilty. So, on October 5th, 1970, uh, Charles Manson holds this paper up in court and is like, look at the president said I was guilty. Like, I'm not guilty. Anything too. for right. attention. Anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the prosecution... All this guy wanted to do was be famous. Oh, somehow. yeah. Somehow, some fucking way. Right. So, um, prosecution brought in a witness, and Manson wanted to cross-examine this witness. So, he gets up 
starts talking, and at which point lunges at the fucking judge with a pencil. What? And starts babbling on some weird shit. So immediately they, like, take him out of there. They're like, okay, you're done, buddy. So, uh, January 25th, 1971, uh, they were all found guilty and sentenced to death. Uh, the following year, Supreme Court of California, the Supreme, the U.S. Yes. So they were sentenced to death and the following year, the U.S. Supreme Court and California Supreme Court actually took back the death penalty and made them eligible for parole after seven years, which I don't. Wow. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't know why they would do that. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they never got out. Right. But I mean, at the point, imagine like being like the family members of these people, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Right. So, um, going forward, and not much after that, uh, Linda Kasabian was essentially the only one who got out of this and walked. Um, she did end up, you know, complying, and when it came down to it, she was the most least involved. She was the driver. She was there, but, uh, for both murders, but essentially really didn't do anything. So, um, Linda Kasabian lives in Tacoma, Washington. She has two kids. She's pretty much went rogue, uh, probably for good reason. Uh, Patricia Cranewinkle was denied parole in June t- 2017. This bitch has been denied 14 times for parole. Holy fuck. <laughs> um, she's currently at the California Institution for Women in Corona, California. Uh, Leslie Van Houten, uh, she was also denied parole a series of times. Um, she is currently at the California Institution for Women in Chino, California. Uh, Susan Atkins, that bitch Susan, <laughs> fucking, uh, Dusty bitch. right, um, she actually died in prison in 2009. Oh, really? Yes, know. she died from brain cancer, if karma wasn't a bitch, bitch, right. um, at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, Cal- California. Uh, Bobby Beausoleil, uh, the one that was friends with Gary Hinman, uh, he was denied 19 times for parole, uh, he he keeps trying though. He does. I think I don't know. Like I know it in New York. It's every two years you're eligible for parole. I don't know how it is in California. Yeah, that's like he's just not gonna give it up there. You might want to give up there, Buster. You're getting yeah. old as fuck. So like you wouldn't even be able to come into like normal society and know what to do. Like you've been in jail so long. You know what I mean? He's like you might as well just right. Now. Like you just need to get out. I mean, yeah. just stay in there and like not worry about getting out. Right. So um. He's currently, which I thought this was weird, he's doing his time at California Medical Facility. Uh, so he must be sick. I, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, don't care, right. <laughs> to be honest with you. Right. Uh, Tex Watson, he is currently serving a life sentence at Mule Creek State Prison. This alive. dude <laughs> has four kids that were all made from visits in prison. Are you fucking serious? Swear Are to God. Um, he actually started his own ministry in prison, so now he's, like, really? preaching some godly shit. Yeah. Like, he's got a following, and I hope it's small, because you're a fucking scumbag, Tex Watson. Like, <laughs> I'm dead. Fuck you. Um, so, Charles Manson. People change their lives, though, but I, I Yeah, doubt. like, he's the amount of just, good, yeah, like, just he was too, like, in it to, yeah. like, be like, I'm yes. a change person. Like, you are, that's in you. Yes. Once it's in you, it's forever in you. You're doing this to make it look good for the parole board. Right, well. right. So, um, Charles Manson, he was 83 years old when he died on uh, November 19th, uh, 2017. I watched his funeral on National Geographic. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh... Actually served nine, uh, well, given nine life sentences, obviously, you know, yeah. he died in there. 
Um, he also had three kids. Uh, this kind of is, like, really sad, but in 1993, Charles Manson Jr. committed suicide. Uh, he didn't want anything to do with his dad, didn't, um... It was all because... Yeah, he didn't want any... Was. Yeah, he didn't want any ties to that. He couldn't, like, bear it and, unfortunately, you know, killed himself. Uh, the second son keeps distance from, you know, kept distance at all costs from his dad, didn't want nothing to do with it. Kind of does his own thing. Uh, the third son, uh, Valentine Michael Brunner, who's actually the son of Charles Manson and Mary Brunner, who was also present the night of the Hinman murders, and um, she was part of the Manson family as well. Uh, he's still out there kicking. So, I mean, he's got kids. I mean, two of them are still alive. One is deceased. Uh, One of his grand... That's actually him, or... Yeah, him, his grandson was actually showed up to the funeral and said he didn't want nothing to do. He didn't even want to be there, so I don't even know why he was there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's, you know, and it, it's shitty. I mean, you got to put yourself in these kids' shoes. Like, you have a dad, essentially, that you didn't know at all. Yeah. Um, and what's crazy about the third one, too, that Valentine Michael Brunner, Mary Brunner's son, uh, apparently he was born on the ranch, and it was said that he tore the cord with his teeth to separate I, him. Yeah, like. Yeah. If that ain't some fucking savage, nasty-ass shit. What else is crazy is he, Manson, even still after death, he has a huge following. When he died during that funeral, he had so many people that were pro-Manson that yeah wanted him out you know what i'm saying yeah. like they they st he still has people following him to this day like he's a fucking god and it's fucked up yeah like for what like yeah. people are writing like all these dumbass bitches are writing him, him like yeah. love letters yeah, and it's like, like what, what the fuck is wrong with these he people? used to make fucking like uh in prison paper mache fucking like shit um scorpion spiders and they were actually really good <laughs> they really were like, yeah he's very talented well take your talent to fucking hell with you bitch so, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, kind of in conclusion, like, I thought about this after, you know, I did this research. Um, you know, he was very close to getting famous. And, I mean, he could have, his, his shot could have been potentially right there. And well, the fact that he really was... famous. But, like, the like the thought, though, was, like, he got these people to do shit without being famous. Imagine if he would have blown up and, like, started the Helter Skelter. That would have started... been a fucking whole following. You know, you know what I'm so saying? It would have been a thousand million times worse. And it's, yeah. like, that's just a bullet well dodged, yes. honestly, you well, know? Right, right. So, not going to keep you guys. I know we're already well into over an hour in this episode. We do want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, plenty more to come. I will be uh, releasing the second part to this, which is going to be followed up with hauntings and Ooh, where my the favorite. right where the Tate murders and Labianca murders were. And I didn't think I was going to find a lot, but I was wrong. I found a lot. See, I didn't know nothing. We'll talk about that. Oh yeah, we sure enough will. Um, so we're going to be covering that our next episode. But in the meantime, if you guys have any suggestions on content that we can cover, anything else going forward. Um, you can go ahead and give us a shout out to our email at mad, M-A-D, podcast20 at gmail.com. And if you want to see crime photos, want to see pictures of ugly ass Charles Manson and his bimbo bats, um, you can visit us at Instagram at The Real Mad Podcast. So, as always, it's been a pleasure. And we can't wait to do this again, guys. Uh, absolutely. Um, thanks for listening to Mad, Megan, and David. Um, stay tuned for more episodes. <laughs> Monkeys. 
monkeys <laughs> with dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> oh god all right yeah we need to go to sleep or something all so right. all right guys we'll catch you on the flip side motherfuckers Deuces. all right bye